Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Geeks podcast. I'm Stephen Ruiz and we have a special guest today filling in for Charles Curtis is Luke Curdenine. Luke, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. You know, slightly disappointed in Charles for skipping this important podcast to take care of his sick child. You know, I mean, come on, priorities, Charles. Priorities. Right? Yeah, but me and Charles talked about the, the Eli Manning thing. I think it was on Friday. So we kind of got his thoughts and now we're getting a fresh perspective from you. So... Let's start there, because that's the biggest story, obviously. It was the biggest story last week. It's going to be the biggest story this week. Ben McAdoo and GM Jerry Reese were fired this morning after the whole Eli Manning debacle. And do you think they would have gotten fired had they not benched Eli Manning? Or was that, or was just, was this an, a, rea- a reaction to what the fans were saying? I think they would have probably made it out, to the, uh, out of the season, right? Like, I think that's, I, I feel like the... Um, I think bench, I mean, we'll get into this, I'm sure, but I think benching Eli was probably like a, it's, it's not the right call, I don't think, but it's kind of a pointless call in my opinion, but we'll get to that. But I think, um, in benching Eli and the manner in which he benched Eli, and then I think this is also sort of, uh, Mara's read on the backlash from sort of Giants fans. I mean, the tabloids, the New York tabloids, like went all in on this. Like people were genuinely furious about it. And I don't think that McAdoo or anybody else was really expecting that sort of backlash. And I think so. I think that sort of forced Mara's hand a little bit here. And um, and I think had it not happened at all, had Eli been playing on Sunday, they would have made it out of the season, I think. Um, and they would have gotten canned then. But I think this just expedited something that was going to happen already. Yeah, I, there's no way McAdoo was coming back next year, which I thought I thought he deserved credit for making this move because it was kind of like a forward-looking move. It, was, it wasn't a save-my-job move. The save-my-job move would have been playing Eli because he's the best quarterback on the team and he gives them the best chance to win. But this was, we got to look to the future. We got to at least give one of these younger quarterbacks a try just just to see what we have on the roster. I thought in a vacuum, I think that's a smart move. The problem is, you know, Eli Manning is a, has a special place in Giants history. So fans weren't just going to be like, oh, yeah, it's the rational move. So we're down with it. But, I mean, obviously that didn't happen. And Geno Smith starts and they don't win. And he gets fired, which I, I mean, I don't, I understand it from Mara's perspective, but do you really want to react to like fans like that? Like, do you want the, you want to give them that much power where they have like a say over, they basically have a say over like the decision-making that a, a coach in the front office is making. I mean, this was a, there was a rationale to this move. I mean, Eli Manning's not going to be on this team for Maybe, I, he might not be on it next year. I, he's definitely not going to be on it the year after that. So they have to start looking for this replacement. And maybe if it, maybe Webb or Smith is that guy. Uh, I mean, I think you have to kick the tires eventually. I, I, I don't think they should have been punished for doing it, doing it a little earlier than Giants fans would have liked. Yeah, you know, I, I, I take your point there, but I, I, I just think that the Giants aren't really. I mean, even if you talk to Giants fans, but especially like Giants ownership, they're not interested in rebuilding right now, right? Like the way this roster is constructed is not a uh, rebuild roster. I think it was constructed in a way to give Eli one last shot at a championship. Ideally this year, um, potentially next year, or maybe the year after that. But if you look at this, you know, if you look at this roster, Eli got his massive contract, which I'm sure we'll get to, but, um, you, you know, th- that being what it was, like, it left only a finite amount of 
dollars left under the cap for which they had to deal with. They skimped on the offensive line, hoping it would be passable. It obviously wasn't, but they spent a lot of... I think I did this analysis a few weeks ago. Where I think outside of Eli Manning, their next five or four of the next five biggest contracts were all on the defensive side of the ball. And mm-hmm. that money starts coming off the books sort of in two years' time, I believe. You know, this is when they can... Show, this is, So this is all done to, cor- to, to correlate with Eli's sort of final two years on the Giants, right? Before he becomes too old and, and irrelevant. So they're trying to... I think in theory they were thinking, okay, Eli's good enough. He's getting paid. He's getting paid enough where we can sort of skimp on the offensive line, kind of give him a passable offensive line. Again, this is in theory. We'll spend a bunch of money on the defensive side of the ball. We'll kind of do. We'll mirror a little bit what the Seahawks are doing, and then we will, um, in theory, like give Eli a run or two more. Of, of, a, of a Super Bowl. Um, I think it's not necessarily a bad move looking ahead, but I just don't think outside of McAdoo, anybody's really interested in that. They want to try to... I mean, I, I bet what, what's going to end up happening is that Giants ownership is going to hire a new coach and his mandate will be rejig the offensive line, sign up Odell Beckham Jr., and let's try to give this another go. Like, they don't want to bottom out and rebuild. They want to try to... They want to try to, I think, maneuver for a couple more years. What do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. This was definitely a win now roster, and the moves they've made over the last couple of years have have been working towards that. They spent 200 million on a handful of de- defensive players last off season, and then they go out and get Brandon Marshall this off season. They draft Evan Ingram with the, their first pick, and they use the I think Sterling Shepard, the slot receiver, was a second round pick the year before. So they've 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 built around, like you said, they've built around. Eli, they've given him weapons, they've given him a defense, and they skimped on the offensive line, which, like you said, was is like kind of the Seattle model. The problem is Eli Manning is not Russell Wilson. Uh, he's he's not going to be able to create with a terrible defensive or offensive line, and we've seen that all season. He's he's getting rushed right when he drops back. And you, I think you were the first person that kind of brought this to attention to my attention at least last year when you were uh, covering the Giants Cowboys game how how bad Eric Flowers had been yeah yeah there was just... that graphic you wrote about and they did not address that position at all and that's the most important position on the offensive line the left tackle they didn't in fact they didn't address any any position on the offensive line they brought the same five starters back and lo and behold it's the same result yeah you know it's it's one of these things where I've always I've been keeping a close eye on the Giants for maybe a year and a half now because I actually think the theory behind this roster construction makes a lot of sense to me and I think it's actually going to be um it's 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 going to come increasingly more popularized as more and more quarterbacks get handed these monster deals that eat up so much of the salary cap um even if you look at the offensive line and Eric Flowers is just a perpetual weak spot in it um, it's actually quite a young offensive line, right? And it's actually a young offensive line filled with fairly, you know, high up draft picks, right? Like they spent their free agent money on the defensive side of the ball. They got their franchise guy. Odell Beckham Jr. still isn't getting paid yet, though he will at some point. And they used their picks on the offensive line. The problem wasn't construction, in my opinion, it was execution. They've whiffed on every single one of these offensive linemen. So, Eli doesn't even have a passable offensive line, you know, like he has a cheap one, but but the, the idea was to give him a cheap 
passable one or ideally like a cheap good one and then when the time comes to pay these guys in a few years once their rookie salary cap expires um they'll just deal with that as it comes because Eli will probably be retired by that point but I think it's it's in the execution they've whiffed on all these guys um and as a result like you said like Eli he isn't Russell Wilson he um is a good quarterback but he obviously but he's not the kind of you know he doesn't have the kind of mobility or playmaking skills that will allow him to compensate for a bad offensive line and that and I think therein lies the problem I don't think Eli is really the the main problem of of the, this Giants team right now but I just don't think he's anything near a solution um and I think that's sort of where it all came apart this season yeah we could talk about this for hours and before we move on I just wanted to talk about I just wanted to get a little bit in on Geno Smith because I think we have differing opinions. I probably, I probably have different a differing opinion than most because I'm, I'm a Geno Smith fan. If you can, I don't know if you'd qualify as being a fan. I think he's like he could be a top twenty quarterback in the league. I think if given the chance and if he makes a couple improvements, I thought he played well yesterday. I thought he played well enough to get another look. I mean, obviously, I don't think that's going to happen. Now that they're changing coaches, which was probably a direct response to the Eli benching. So I'm assuming Eli will be back out there next week. But I think Geno Smith is – I think the Giants should should think about keeping him around next year. Because first of all, he's young. He has the physical tools, obviously. He was a second-round pick for a reason. And his production over the, his last seven starts – I know that's not a, a big sample size. But now that represents about a fourth of all of his career starts. So that's like a lot of his career. His stats over that time, 62.8 completion percentage, 8.3 yards per attempt, 1.8 interception percentage, 97.9 quarterback rating. Those numbers are all either right in line or better than Russell Wilson's numbers this year. Russell Wilson is an MVP candidate, and for good reason. So, I mean, that's a a significant stretch of playing a pretty good quarterback. And he's never – he's gotten – that was only his second start in the last two years. I think he deserves a longer look. If it's not from the Giants, it should be from another quarterback needy team next year. Yeah, you know, I think he deserves a, I think he deserves a chance. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm always a little skeptical of these guys. I mean, like – and it, 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 I must say it's tough with Geno Smith, right? Because at the Jets, he sort of – looked good at points, looked bad at points, and was surrounded just by a bunch of, like, turds, right? Like, he had nothing <laughs> to throw to it. And, and that impacts that impacts everything. He doesn't necessarily have that problem at the Giants, obviously, especially when the Giants are healthy. And he also has the skill set that would sort of compensate for some of the, or mitigate some of these problems that we were just talking about and we saw that we saw that yesterday he made a couple plays after scrambling that Eli Manning would not have made yeah yeah and so like you know I I do think he deserves a shot I don't think the Giants is the place where it's going to happen from partly because I just don't think this organization is interested in it uh, in in embarking down that path at all um the one thing I'm always skeptical about is Gino seems to fall into this category of like Oh, guys who, you know, oh, these guys could be pretty good camp where like, I feel like you can, you can compile like 12 different, 12 different quarterbacks who just kind of suck. <laughs> Lennon was in that camp. He was the poster child for that camp. Yeah. And, and, and so I'm always like, you know, and again, like I have to hedge by saying like, yes, he was surrounded by nothing at the Jets, but you know, after what well, he had a two years, two years starting job at the, at the Jets or one year or something. And, 
just he was making incredibly he was making some incredibly dumb mistakes on a pretty regular basis and a lot of people saying yes you know this is this is in part because he had no you know he, he was getting rushed all the time he had no good receivers and yada yada but i i i always i'm always skeptical if i was a if I, if I was like the Broncos, sure, I would absolutely take a swing on Geno Smith. But I'm not going to necessarily like uh, force my my like Super Bowl winning franchise quarterback into an early retirement uh, <laughs> in a bitter early retirement to give Geno sh- to give Geno Smith a a, a shot. So Freudian slip there. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, although I will, let me throw one thing out there. I think. The perfect team for Geno Smith next year is the Jaguars because they need to keep money open to sign all those defensive players that are the heart and soul of the team. I don't think they're going to be able to do that if they splurge on like a quarterback like like Eli Manning. I don't think they're going to be able to do that. So let's just move on from there. Uh, last night, there's a pretty big game in the NFC. The Eagles finally lost a game. Uh, and it's what it has. I think it's been two months now. They lost to Seattle 24-10. Do you think this... This shakes up the NFC hierarchy. Are, are the Eagles still the team to beat, or are, are you looking at another team now? Um, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've obviously heard this podcast with you guys before. I've always been like very, um, I guess, wary of the Seahawks, right? Because like I'm, I'm always a little. Oh, sorry, look, I'm always wary of teams that go through the first half of the season, they blitz everyone, and then they almost start to slow down right at the point where you kind of need them to speed up, right? Like, the, it was it was a bit like the Cowboys last year where, you know, they, they sort of stumbled stumbled in. Um, well, they, yeah, they stumbled in the sort of second half of the season. Like, remember, Dak had his worst game, I think, of the regular season against the Giants, um, and it just really didn't look very convincing, but they were already in the playoffs by that point. And so I kind of think the Eagles might fall into this time. I mean, don't get me wrong, I think this team is for real, but I think what we saw from Seattle is that this is a team with a, you know, to use a cliche, like a lot of know-how. This is an incredibly well-constructed defense with an with a, with a even better quarterback. Um, and I think in playoff, in playoff situations and high-pressure situations, not only does that sort of been there, done that, come into, um, prove increasingly important, but also just having something like a defense like that with a guy who can hurt you on offense in Russell Wilson, it, it, it makes it pretty easy to be able to shift game states into sort of ways that advantage you, right? Like it, it allows you to sort of lock down a sort of a younger quarterback guy in a way that he hasn't experienced in the regular season. And suddenly he's having to adjust on the fly in a very high pressure situation. Um, so I've always sort of been a bit of a waiting for Seattle to sort of rise up and, and do this. Yeah, I think everyone just ex- expects Seattle to, you know, to be peaking at in December. That's what they do every season. So I'm not surprised that they they beat Philly. In fact, I I took uh, Seattle in our picks post. But yeah, I agree with you. I, I think uh, there's part of that where, I mean, Philly can't sustain what they've been doing the last two months. Just, everything's just been going right for them, and they don't have playoff experience yet. I think they're maybe a year too early maybe next year they'll they'll be ready to be like true Super Bowl contenders I just don't I mean in the NFC I definitely think they can make the Super Bowl I just don't think they can match up with the Patriots and that's the standard like I think the I think Belichick would just eat their lunch if he got two weeks to game plan for this team because I think they are they are at least on offense really dependent on 
you know, like they're skiing, like they do, they run a lot of stuff to make things easier for Wentz. They run a lot of like read options and like bubble screens and stuff like that. A lot of misdirection. I think you give Belichick or any good coach, like Mike Zimmer, even like give him two weeks or a week to, to prepare for that. And I think he's shutting it down. So, yeah, I think they need a plan B and I don't think they, they haven't had enough time to like develop that yet. They have a young quarterback. I think Carson Wentz, he's a good quarterback. He's going to be great. In the future, I still think. I mean, he's got a lot of room to grow. At. Yeah, and I think I want to. I want to see him adjust to a, a defensive game plan that is centered around stopping him, which we saw yesterday, and he kind of struggled to adjust. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think also, like when you're talking about you know 14 weeks in Philadelphia, where like every where hopes are high, and there's just so much hype over and over again, and it 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 can work for you and it can work against you in some ways, right? Like it, it can work for you in the sense that it's easy to generate a lot of momentum, but it can also just be utterly exhausting after a point. And if you look, and so I think, um, you know, when you're starting to get deep into the season and the hype that's already been big and it's just grown and grown and grown, it could be, uh, it, it can just turn into pressure after a certain point. And I think Philly have also won a lot of games in incredibly impression, impressive fashion, but also by blowing out some uh, iffy teams, you know, if we can call yeah. them that. Like, you know, Dallas haven't been great and they taught them. They taught the Bears. They taught Denver, who doesn't have a quarterback. They taught San Francisco. And it's all been very impressive. But that's not going to be the game plan when you're facing, um, you know, a Seattle type in the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you give, or you're facing Belichick. Like, these are good teams that you can't just open up the game and, throw a mi- and score a million points on them. Um, so I think it's it's more about adjusting, you know, these teams that know how to adjust to these different game states, uh, which really just comes with experience, is is something that I'd be looking at closely when it comes to the Eagles. And I think they've they've relied a lot on opposing quarterbacks making mistakes and turning the ball over and giving them short fields. I don't think they're going to get that against veteran quarterbacks like Drew Brees or Tom Brady or Ben Roethlisberger. And their most impressive win, I think I would say, was the the Carolina game, which was on a Thursday night, and they they got some bad calls, but Carolina gifted them with some short fields, with some turnovers, and they still had to, uh, you know, hold them at the end to to win that game. And Carolina was playing without Luke Keekley for uh, like eighty percent of the game, and they were playing without Greg Olson for the entire game. So, yeah, I, I don't think we've really seen them tested by great teams yet. So. It'll be interesting to see in the playoffs. So let's move on to uh, to another great team, the Patriots. They they steamrolled the Bills as everyone expected, but the game was interesting for other reasons. First, we had Tom Brady just freaking out on Josh McDaniels. That was an odd that was an odd situation, but we've seen Brady uh, do that before, and he always seems to escape criticism for these outbursts on the sideline. He's had a couple of them in his career. And then we had Odell Beckham, who is the opposite. Anytime he sneezes on the sideline, you know, you get a million takes. And he tweeted about tweeted about the double standard between him and Brady. So is there a double standard? And why do you think that double standard exists? Um, yeah, no, I do think there's a double standard. Um, but I think, you, you know, I think when you look at a guy like Brady, who basically everybody at this point considers the best quarterback of all time, um, I, I think... It, 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 it starts to perpetuate itself in that way. You know, Odell Beckham Jr., it's not 
it's not his fault, obviously, but when your team sucks and when you when when you haven't won a Super Bowl and when you're in a high pressured environment like New York, which is nitpicking every move, like you you have to move you you have to succeed in that environment in order to become immortal, right? In order to become Derek Jeter status or Eli Manning status, where you can literally have a coach fired for benching you, which is just what happened. Um, you, you need to be able to like make it through that point so i don't think i think there very well could be it could easily be the case that you know if adele beckham jr gets a couple super bowls one day and he throws a tantrum like that the mood around it will be a lot different in Mm -hmm. the nfl than what we saw with brady which was you know it it was it's quite weird to see right like he really he flew off the handle in a way that like was kind of unexpected and the outcry oh there wasn't an outcry sorry the reaction was like oh brady look at him go like get back in your place (laughs) mcdown but i think honestly when you've won that much um and you've succeeded that much like people start to it's almost like this is part of your myth right like that this is why you win so you're allowed to do whatever you want um if you win Uh, and so i think that's something that brady is probably benefited from in this case and there is a there is a parallel to extend it between the the eli manning benching like you compare when belichick makes a move like that and he has he hasn't obviously hasn't benched brady but he has traded like star players for peanuts basically and no one everyone's like oh belichick doing his belichick thing <laughs> but like if if ben McAdoo had won super bowls himself and benched eli manning i think everyone would have been like okay he knows what he's doing he's won super bowls like that's that, that was a Patriots move. Like that was a cold. I don't care about your streak. I don't care about like what you've done for us. What have you done for me lately? Type of move that McAdoo made, which are moves that at Belichick has made throughout his career, and he made them in Cleveland, and he got a lot of crap for it. He benched uh, Bernie Kosar, who's he was from Ohio. Everyone loved him, and when he benched him, everyone, all the Browns fans, freaked out like they did with Eli Manning. But yeah, I think. I think you have to earn that, and I think I think Brady has earned it, has earned the right to freak out on the sidelines with no one like going, "Hey, this guy's a, a baby." Where Odell hasn't. I mean, I think the the there's obviously a race racial component to it. I think that plays a small part in it, but I I hesitate to say that's the main reason for the double standard because we've seen we know we've seen other quarterbacks that are like fiery and like do stuff like that, like. Johnny Manziel, for example, or even like Philip Rivers has gotten criticized for yelling at teammates. Jay Cutler gets crap all the time. So yeah, I think I think it's an earned thing. Brady has earned that right, where Odell really hasn't. He hasn't accomplished much in the league. So yeah, I don't I don't think it's a big deal. Yeah, and I, I do think there is obviously a racial component component that unfortunately like is plays plays a role in all of this but yeah. i think at the end of the day like you know if we use tiger woods for example like back in his prime like his temper was so bad he would sway he would mm-hmm. slam clubs he would everything but he was fiery and that's why he was tiger woods and then he started losing and doing everything acting exactly the same way and it was what's this guy doing like he's throwing a tantrum this is why he's not winning it's 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 ridiculous it's ridiculous but this is something that i think happens um and this happens like the more success you have the more leeway you get in situations like that yeah exactly you're right and and then that was not the last noteworthy moment in that game we had at the end brady th- throws an interception the Bills rookie cornerback Tredavious White, he comes down with it and he's tackled and Rob Gronkowski decides he's gonna do a gonna tackle him again. He's gonna just land on the back of him. 
and I he he did not get ejected. He got flagged, but he did not get ejected, which I think he should have. White ended up going into concussion protocol. I'm not sure if he ended up being diagnosed with concussion, but it was obviously a, a dirty hit. It was dangerous. It was uncalled for. Do we think Gronk should be suspended for what he did? Oh, there's definitely going to be a meeting about it, right? Like I'm I'm actually not incredibly familiar with like what the sort of precedent is. So I'll let you take the lead on this one. Um, but I, it does definitely seems like a suspension worthy offense um without doubt the question to me is whether like it, i feel like i'm we're always in these situations in the nfl where something that would seem to be an obvious suspension or or a hefty suspension mm-hmm. in the nfl it t- turns into a sort of a two-game thing and then something that seems inconsequential turns into sort of something slightly longer so i feel like the way nfl hands down penalties like the or uh, for infractions like this is sort of a mess which makes it really hard to um, make, makes it really hard to assess, but this is definitely a suspension-worthy offense, I think. Yeah, I think if you're going to talk about how you care about player safety and concussions, you you have to suspend them. You can't look the other way on this. That's that that wouldn't be a good look for the league. And we've seen, Gronk has he's never had a a moment like this, but he he's had like fringe dirty moments, like when he blocked that one Colts player. I think he said he threw him out of the club. He blocked him like ten yards out of bounds. He was still blocking him push him to the ground. I mean, that's, that was a late hit. That I think that adds to his, his record. So when Goodell's, Goodell's looking at all this, I think you have to – I think you either it, either it has to be a huge fine or you have to give him a game suspension, which could end up being big because the Patriots play the Steelers in, I think, two weeks, and that's going to decide home field advantage. And that could decide which, which team goes to the Super Bowl. So it's a big decision for the league. I mean, and the funny thing is, too, is that if this was a – quarterback that this had happened to and it or it was like indomitian mm-hmm. sue who did this to a quarterback like could you imagine <laughs> you know if indomitian sue did this to tom brady uh it would be like unquestionably this guy needs to be suspended for the season he needs to be thrown out of the league yada yada but because it's like gronk and, and, and you know patriots player hitting a defensive player it's like ah, oh, should we do it the the narrative is very different but um i think i think in a, in a rational sane world this this is a suspension yeah, so yeah, I think so. But we we've seen time and again that the NFL suspensions aren't based on rationality. So, so I guess Goodell will flip a coin and that will decide. <laughs> Gronk suspension is all right. Let's move on. This is a topic near and dear to both of our hearts. We're going to check in on Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. If you don't know, me and Luke have been debating this for what a year, over a year now. I'm, <laughs> I think Jameis. Winston is the better quarterback. Luke thinks Marriott is the be- better quarterback. Both have been struggling this year. Are they? I don't think it's their fault. They've been put in these situations. I don't think their teams are doing the best job of building around them. But they they haven't had that breakout year that everyone expected. So let's check in on you, Luke. Where are you at in the Jameis Mariota debate? Are you still staunchly behind Marcus Mariota? Uh, forever, you know, staunchly behind Marriott for sure. But um, but you know, I know we've talked about this, but I must say, like, I'm pretty disappointed with how this has transpired, right? Like, if you would have watched their first game, um, during their joint NFL debuts, you would be like, wow, this is going to be these are going to be two 
awesome quarterbacks forever hasn't quite panned out that way. I mean, Charles kind of mocks us for saying that uh, it's kind of turned into the who's the less bad uh, contest. Um, <laughs> the reason I have always liked Mariota and valued him more than Winston is that even though I admit that Winston definitely has up, more upside, like absolutely, like he's his ceiling is Ben Roethlisberger or something, right? Like he's awesome. Um, mm. But the, the the I've seen you see so many quarterbacks in the NFL and so many coaches who lose their house banking on upside. Um, and I think Winston has always been prone to a lot of really, 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 really stupid mistakes, stupid interceptions, stupid decisions, um, things that hold him back. Whereas Mariota, I've always thought is a bit more solid. Yes, he doesn't have the sort of downfield threat. Um, I think he's. You know, he didn't really have many weapons up until this uh, until this season. His coaching, I think, is still very suspect. But, um, you know, you look at some of his numbers this season, and even though he's got the better QBR, it must be said, um, he's, like you said, like he's thrown more interceptions than touchdowns, which kind of undermines my entire argument a little bit, right? <laughs> like, uh, Mariota's thing in my mind is that he's solid, that he's a guy who uh, won't make mistakes, but he now is sort of stumbling through the season. I mean, he's 8-3 and three as a start of the season, so I guess he's doing okay, but he's not really doing it in the way that I would have, that I have been sort of, uh, that supports my argument for him being better. Um, so that's definitely worrying. He's definitely taken a step, or I don't, I guess he's maybe taken a step backwards, but he definitely hasn't taken a step forward. Um, and that's really what I thought was going to happen this year, because he finally got some weapons, and um, I think people were sort of ready for this moment, and it hasn't quite materialized. I think with both of these guys, and especially so with Mariota, this year is just a referendum on how important coaching is when it comes to developing a young quarterback. I, It's frustrating watching the, the Titans play, because, you know, you, you mentioned the interceptions, and I don't think that it's really on him. He's being forced in the system. He's being forced to play like Jameis Winston to make these downfield throws just because he has this old school coach. And that was like the old school way of playing is run the ball a bunch and then play action, and just chuck it deep. And he's, he's not that type of player. He's a, he's an efficient player. He's a guy that you're going to like not dink and dunk, but you know, you're going to be more methodical and he's not being allowed to do that. He's not, you got to like spread things out for him. Give him multiple options. Instead, he's getting, he's basically given like one or two options on a play, and they're keeping a lot of people in the block because you you need you know you need more time in the pocket when you're throwing downfield. So this this offensive system does not suit him at all. It actually suits uh, Jameis Winston way more. So I don't I don't blame Mariota's uh, poor statistical season on him at all. I don't put it on him. I think he's actually probably a better quarterback than he was last year. He just is in a worse situation. Because and that's only because defenses are actually are adapting to what the Titans have done. And they, and that we saw that at the end of last year, the Titans, I think they exploded for like a like eight game stretch where they scored a bunch of points and then they got shut down at the end of the year. So yeah, I'm not putting this on Marriott. I'm putting this on the coaching. And then Winston, obviously, he's been hurt this whole year, but I think. He's cut down on those interceptions this year. His interception percentage is down to, I think, 2.3, which is around league average. Uh, he's only thrown six picks to, 12, to I think, 12, inter- 12 touchdowns now. So he's kind of like, you know, he's solving those those uh, uh, turnover issues, and he, I think he's getting better every year. I just think he needs he also needs a better coach who will adjust and 
take better advantage of those weapons because he definitely has better weapons than Mariota. I'm not arguing that. And he also has a worse offensive line. And I think that's a big issue is he's playing behind an offensive line, which just makes his like poor decision-making worse because you make worse decisions when you're under pressure and he's under pressure all the time. So that just gives him more room to make bad decisions. Yeah, and I think the, the thing that hangs me up a bit on, uh, on James Winston is – you know, again, not his upside. And we were talking just on air that if, you know, James Winston's skill set is being able to go da- downfield and like a, a really sort of being a sort of dynamic downfield threat, um, you're okay with him throwing a little more picks because you think the upside will outweigh the downside, right? Like the same way Brett Favre threw a bunch of picks. You're kind of okay with that. Um, you ideally want him to throw less, but um, he wouldn't be Brett Favre if he wasn't going downfield. Um, so, so yeah, and the thing that always hangs me up about Jameis is that he just seems prone to these, like, explosions, right? Like, every now and again, he'll just kind of explode. Um, we were talking, I was talking with Charles, um, when I filled in for you while you were in concussion protocol, um, and, you know, t- in 10 games he's thrown, so he's played, I think he had played just over 30 games at the time, and in 10 games, he'd thrown over two picks. He's thrown four picks once. He's thrown three picks in two different games. Um, so you're almost coming on about in 33% of his games, you know, James, James Winston sort of explodes. I mean, he's had three different games where he's thrown no touchdowns and two interceptions and lost all of them. Um, it, it's that the, it's th- these kind of moments where I don't even think it's like a consistent see thing is that they tend to happen in like very concentrated time periods where like you know you need him to win the game and he jogs past the uh, line of scrimmage and heaves a downfield pass like or you know you need him to kind of not explode and he'll explode like these are the kind of things that get me a little worried about James Winston because even though you know his stats look good by season's end um these individual sort of explosions are costing you games and and that's what always worries me a little bit about him yeah he'll he'll definitely lose his team games he'll even when he doesn't isn't being asked to win his team game he'll figure out a way to lose it for him but i think it's you got to remember that both of these guys are really young like james is 23 i think mariota is either 23 or he just turned 24 like they're both younger than i think they're both younger than carson wentz i know james is for a fact i don't know about mariota but i think he's uh, i think he's younger than carson wentz also yeah. So these guys are really, really young still. So they have they're still like four years away from their prime. Yeah. We just keep we don't we don't, I don't think we acknowledge that enough. Like people are killing Deshaun Tizer every week. He's twenty one years old. Like that's crazy. Yeah, and I do I do I'm curious too about your thoughts because I do think there is a point where yes, these guys are young, but it also becomes more about like. Uh, like snaps um, at a certain point. Like in soccer, you see this all the time where you're like, oh, he's so young. He's still only 25. Um, it's like, yeah, he's only 25, but he's played, you know, thousands and thousands of Premier League minutes and we haven't really seen that much um, that mm-hmm. much progression. Like, I don't think that would be harsh to say that about either one of these guys, I think. But um, I, I do think that, like, I'm less attached to age as I am, like, reps, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. But... At the same time, I just think it, it just goes back to they didn't have – I don't think Jameis had a lot of experience in college. Even he, he was like two-year starter. Mariota had a little bit more. But I just think it, like physically they, they have room to grow. Mentally, I think they still have a lot of time to grow into a great quarterback. I'm just – yeah, I'm just – I don't know. 
I think you're right about the snaps thing. Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I do think, um, I do think they're tending on the right track. It just, you know, with a uh, yeah, Mariota has really disappointed me this season. I, I think he'll come good. I think he needs a new coach. Um, really, I don't quite. Oh, yeah, it's definitely. so frustrating watching him in these games and him being forced into the situation where he just doesn't really look comfortable in. Um, I think this is a sort of a blanket problem in the NFL where I think guys tend to look at a, or, you know, coaches will tend to look at a guy like Mariota or a guy like Winston and what can't, and think about what can't he do and obsess over trying to coach these things out rather mm-hmm. than maximize the things he can do. Um, you know, like the reason why Mariota is good in the Chip Kelly style offense, because there was just like a very wide field with lots of options, as you were saying, um, you know, even if you look at a guy like, a Jay Cutler type there it was always about like what he couldn't do and trying to put him in a system and a John Fox style system that you know kind of kept it very tight when really what you need to do with a guy like Jay Cutler is what the Broncos did when he was when he was there to widen everything and to go downfield and and sort of uh, put him in like a Bruce Arians type offense in my opinion yeah yeah definitely I think you got to embrace like if he's an inefficient quarterback just embrace that and make the most of it go downfield take shot plays yeah go with a high variance offense all right so that's enough Jameis Mariota talk uh let's move on to this this is a question that I came up with because I think the NFL needs it uh should the NFL have a non-quarterback MVP award and my thinking behind this is I'm, I'm kind of borrowing from MLB who they have the Cy Young award and then the MVP award and very rarely does a pitcher win the MVP award I think it's happened but they kind of separate them because you realize like pitchers are so important that we need two awards. We need to honor both of these. And the same thing can be said about the NFL with quarterback play. And I guess I'll take it since I, this is my question that I came up with. I definitely think we need one of these awards. Just, just looking at it this year, like Antonio Brown should be in the MVP discussion every year. I feel like, but he's never going to be because he's a wide receiver and Ben, he's playing with a big name quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger. But, if you had to say who's the most important player on that team, it's Antonio Brown. He like catches ten balls every game, 150 yards, a couple touchdowns. He he makes that offense go. I I think we need this award to you know we quarterbacks get enough love. Yeah, it's funny. I actually hadn't even thought about this until you said this was going to be a question. I think it's a fantastic idea. I mean, even when you look at a guy like. You know, like a guy like Leonard Fournette or something. Um, yes, you know, the Jags offense is really the MVP of that team. But, um, you know, I think the last I checked, Leonard Fournette has just, you know, almost 900 yards this season, which him alone accounts for almost sort of 20% of the entire Jags offense. And of course, him being there has allowed... Um, has sort of made the pass has sort of made the pass game easier too. So he wasn't even go I mean, like he's going to end up getting rookie of the year. But had Deshaun Watson stayed healthy, he wouldn't have gotten <laughs> rookie of the year. And I think you could probably make the case or make a case that um, Leonard Fournette has totally changed the way that the Jacksonville Jaguars have been able to compete this season. Um, his presence in the backfield, his sort of power running ability but yeah he's not he wouldn't even be you know you, you'd be mad to even dare suggest him as a kind of mvp candidate um and i just think it's it's embody it embodies a sort of different kind of problem that you're touching on yeah and we could have said the same thing last year with uh, ezekiel elliott like he changed the cowboys offense and the same with fournette obviously this year the defenses are just packing the box which makes it so much easier on Bortles and Bortles is 
has put up decent numbers in the last couple of years just because everything is so easy for him because Fournette is facing at least eight men in the box. Like I think it, I saw a stat a couple, like last week. I think it was at least forty percent of the time, which is ridiculous. They have no respect for that passing game. But yeah, that's exactly why we need this award because I, I mean, I'm not going to argue against the fact that most of the time, ninety percent of the time, the most important player on a team is the quarterback. We see that in New England. We see that right now in Philly with how Wentz is playing, how that's changed the team, that team. And then obviously in Seattle with Russell Wilson accounting for what, like 97% of uh, the Seahawks touchdowns. I, but I don't think he's, I don't think we give quarterbacks so much credit. Like we've given Wilson so much credit for the, the success of the Seahawks, but that defense has played really well, which I think, I don't think that should take away from Wilson's MVP candidacy, but I think it sh- it just goes to show that no matter what, the quarterback's going to get the credit, which is exactly why we need to give these other guys some type of recognition. Yeah, and the truth is the MVP award in football especially, which is already skewed because it's such a quarterback-centric game, has sort of become the best player period award, right? Like, I remember yeah. back in 2013, like, you could make a real case that... Um, Oh, sorry, not 2015. You can make a real case that Carson Palmer was the MVP uh, that year during his sort of really good season at the Cardinals. Um, he wasn't even in the discussion, right? They ended up giving it to um, they ended up giving it to Cam, I believe, that year. Um, and you know, because he was obviously incredible and he was an MVP in his own right, but he was also and he's on the best team. It's the best player on the best. Team. Yeah, exactly. It's the best player on the best team award. Um, which which isn't which is kind of counter to the whole thing anyway because there are all kinds of other candidates if you were to actually evaluate it as truly the most valuable player which i think um you know isn't being done at all yeah i don't think that's i think it's rarely done we kind of saw in the nba last year we they gave it to russell westbrook just because he was playing with no one else and he's putting up these ridiculous numbers but yeah we rarely see that in the nfl where you actually give it to the guy where if you take him off the team they're they're just going to implode. I think that 2015 was inter- that 2015 season was kind of a it was an interesting case study in how they give out the MVP awards because you had Cam, who was who was actually I think that kind of player like he had no one else really on that offense besides Greg Olson. He was throwing at like Ted Ginn and Jericho Cotri, so he he didn't put up the best passing numbers, but he did. I think there was a case to be made that he was like the most valuable player to his team but he also had i don't think that's why he got that the award though i think he got the award because his team went 15 and 1 so yeah i don't we don't give the award out to the award isn't the most valuable it's basically the best quarterback on the best team which i just give them best quarterback award have that award and then have an an, another mvp award you can call it something else and give that to the best non-quarterback i think that's the best way to do it yeah, no, I agree. I agree. All right, so we usually end the podcast by going over our top five teams. Uh, where our, our teams have basically been the same all year. So let's just do – let's change it up a little bit. Let's just go with a Super Bowl prediction as of right now. Who would be – what would be your Super Bowl prediction? Oh, I think – for Super Bowl prediction. Prediction, I think I would end up going with like Patriots Seahawks rematch. I think these are I, I think the Patriots are 
incredible and the best team. The Steelers are a bit too streaky for my liking. I think Seattle will get it done. I love this Vikings team, though. I don't know if they'll have enough to make it to the Super Bowl, but I just love Zimmer. I love this defense. I think they can make some serious noise, and I would love to see them make a run. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I'm going Patriots-Vikings, I think. I think the NFC is going to go through Minnesota. I think that's what it comes down to is who gets home field advantage. And I think just based on the Vikings schedule, I think they're going to end up with it. And I think that will make the difference. I think if Philly wins home field advantage, they're, I think they're the favorites. The only team that I wouldn't put in that category is the Rams. Even I don't think they have, I think they're a year too early. Like I don't think they're making the Super Bowl no matter where the games are played. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to guess the Vikings win home field advantage and I'm going to guess that the Patriots are that they're going to go to the Super Bowl and lose to the Patriots because that's what that's what happens now every year <laughs> that's what happens according to the oh. NFL script that we get yeah alright so uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week uh, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week